This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives online. I'm Sarah Tasker and this is episode 91. Hello, my lovely people. How are you all doing? I am good. I feel like a mother hen right now sitting on so many podcast eggs trying to keep them all warm. Uh, Or if any of you follow me on Instagram, actually probably more like my budgie when she laid approximately 20 eggs and couldn't fit them all underneath her. I just have interviews stacked up, interviews from before coronavirus and lockdown and the world changed that I really still want to share with you. Fresh interviews I've recorded in the last few weeks. Just so many brilliant guests sharing their brilliant wisdom and I have to figure out who to share each week and what order to put them in. So... With that in mind, this week I'm going to be sharing two conversations with you. One is the usual length with a returning guest, Fiona Thomas, and another's going to be a little bit shorter. You might have heard before, I sometimes do these features with people who took my Insta retreat class who were doing amazing work online. So that's going to be Rebecca Lewis, who is a textile artist turned photographer, and she's going to share some of her brilliant wisdom about follow accounts, about pivoting your business, and using Instagram as kind of a digital version of that Saturday morning craft market. I love doing these conversations with the Insta Street students. Hopefully it doesn't feel like it is just a shameless self-promotion. I just think it's really fascinating for all of us to hear how people are applying stuff in the real world and it's great to speak to people who are reaching huge audiences and doing massive things but it's also really valuable to hear about people who are doing the everyday work of building their business brick by brick. If you like today's conversations, you can join Fiona and myself for a live chat about all things freelancing and self-employment and probably some mental health. And when it is time to ditch your nine to five, it's going to be on October the 1st at 6pm, which is, I think, British summertime. Or are we switching by then? I think it's still British summertime. And it's all going to be from the comfort of your living room because that is our comfort zone. There's going to be a question and answer session and I'm going to be bringing along a glass of something fizzy and cold for myself so that we can all toast to Fiona's new book together and just generally have a good old natter. Tickets are £13 and they're on sale now. I'm going to put the link in the show notes for this episode if you want to join us. Okay, enough preamble. I'm going to start by introducing you to Rebecca. Hi, I'm Rebecca and I mostly hang out on Instagram as Posh Yarns. I've been running an online business making textile gifts, selling through my website and uh, various marketplaces for about 10 years. Um, And recently in the last uh, year, I've started transitioning into a whole new career because I'm going to be turning 50 So it's time for something different. (laughs) So I'm uh, looking to change my career to work as a photographer and filmmaker, which has always been a side passion, I suppose, and is now becoming the first thing. That's a big big pivot between the two. How does that feel? Uh, It does seem like a massive pivot, but actually I've been taking photographs forever. And the funny thing is I was because I've been going through that massive thing of feeling um, that I'm not qualified, imposter syndrome. Of course. And uh, But then when I look back in my 20s, my first proper job was actually working in a photo library. And I started down in the dark room, 
editing images and um, checking uh, for problems. It was back when things were actually on film. <laughs> and then upstairs in the creative department, helping select images um, for businesses and things like that. So it's a little bit like full circle. <laughs> Coming home to yourself. Yeah. So I've always been visual, I guess, is the thing. <laughs> well, and so you first took the Insta Retreat for your knitting business. Is it a knitting business? Is that the right thing to call it? No, it's confusing because of the name Posh Yarns. So the name, so way back in the beginning of the online world, I had a knitting blog, ah. <laughs> which is where the name Posh Yarns came from. And then when I actually started my textile business, because I was already established as Posh Yarns, that name just stayed, but I've never knitted anything for sale. <laughs> That's always just been a hobby. I don't knit fast enough to sell things. <laughs> no. Oh, gosh, yeah. It's a difficult one to scale up. Yeah. yeah. So you first took the Insta Retreat when, with the, when your focus was on your textile business. Yes. And you obviously were taking photos all of the time for that side of things. Yes, I was. And uh, but I just never really thought about how to use Instagram properly. So I was just sharing willy nilly. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back. What do you remember when it was you first took the course? So I think it's, uh, it's at least three years ago. Yes, I think that sounds about right. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was still it hadn't been running that long, I don't think. No, it was still quite new. Still in yeah, one of its first yeah. iterations. And then have you been back to the course since then? I have. So I've revisited lots of the content repeatedly over the years. And then uh, in the most recent intake, I went back quite focused to look through it again, because now I'm looking at it from this new business point of view. And it's just, I mean, it's so useful because the first time around, I learned so much about identifying my audience, which I'd never done before. You know, I was just using, I was using Instagram to connect with friends, other small businesses, that sort of thing. And I hadn't really thought about trying to properly connect with customers. So yeah, so I went, so I mean, in the meantime, I've done other things. Like I've looked at trying to learn Facebook advertising. I've done really horrible, which is horrible, by the way, <laughs> horrible courses in that. And, uh, and it's still just never as useful as going back and re-looking at the basic things you teach about identifying who your people are, <laughs> working out where to find them, how to connect them with them. And the fantastic thing that you teach, I think, in the course is that you can actually get the right audience and get customers without having to advertise, without having to start funneling yes. people and spending lots of money you know you can just if you find your right people you can speak to them in a much more direct way than I think you can through any other social medium. I completely agree and I think that that message isn't really out there very much anymore a lot of people will say it's impossible unless you're going to spend on ads and I'm not completely against people spending on ads if that's something within their budget and it's something they want to do but I do think it's so important to do this work first to actually know who it is you're talking to and who you don't want to talk to yeah. and to have it at your disposal to do that for free whenever you need to. Yes absolutely and it, it's incredible that we can do that for nothing. <laughs> yeah. You know, small business that's just amazing that you can still do that I mean I know people have done very well out of Facebook 
But I think for lots of businesses, it just doesn't work, the Facebook advertising model. You know, particularly with small businesses, you could very quickly waste a lot of money. Yes. (laughs) And it's really hard to find your right people that way. But in Instagram, you can track them down really quickly. And it's a much nicer way to spend time with them as well. (laughs) Yeah, it's much better for the soul. And it's two way, whereas a Facebook ad just goes out to the world and you only have their word for it that it's been seen so many times. On Instagram, it's a conversation. And and one of the things I've been talking about quite a lot lately with people is how much amazing market research you get just from that actual, it feels like fun, that day-to-day conversation replying to DMs. Yes, absolutely. And uh, so when I'd first taken the course and was using it for my textile business, uh, I was able to react. It was as good as when I used to do markets and face-to-face yeah. in terms of, you know, someone would go, wow, I love that. Can you make it like that? And then you can have an actual conversation with them and change it. And yes, you can make it like that. <laughs> and instead of being limited to the people who can travel to that market on a cold yeah. Saturday morning, yeah. you've got the whole world and you can do it from your sofa. Yes. Yeah. And you can probably reach the right people who aren't always coming to that market as well. Let me tell you. <laughs> I'm always curious as a photographer, as someone who knows their way around the camera, there's a lot of stuff in the Insta retreat about creating imagery for Instagram. Now you could be honest with me here, like how useful is any of that for you? Yeah, really useful because that was something that I didn't understand because, um, and I think it's quite hard to get your head around, especially if you have come from a more of a photography background, mm. that images for Instagram are slightly different. <laughs> yeah, it's a different like vernacular yeah, almost. It is. And it's learning to read it as a square and learning. And the really important lesson was uh, you do a lot of work in teaching how to look at your grid as a whole, how to look at it as a gallery, mm. which is something I think a lot of it takes time to get your head around. And a lot of people don't realize. So that was really valuable. And then that's something that I've actually taken right through then to my other platforms and to all of my business. It's really helped me kind of think about drilling down and curating everywhere I am. (laughs) Well, all of these skills are so transferable, aren't they? Like it's it's, I teach Instagram, but every time I go and write something about Pinterest or about your blog, I think, gosh, this is just the same. It's the same key understanding. And once you get it in one place, it becomes much easier to do it everywhere else. Yes, absolutely. And uh, yeah, it wasn't something that had really been, I hadn't really thought about before. So that was definitely useful and something I've gone back to quite a few times. And you also, I mean, you really teach a lot about colours as well. And, you know, really curating, curating, how to really tightly curate what you're presenting. And so I now understand that I can try different sorts of images, say on my blog or on my website, and that's fine. But I know really quickly now which ones are right for Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, everything's got its own home, which actually makes, it's actually a kind of freeing, although it sounds constraining when you first hear it, it becomes a freedom because you don't have to agonize. You just go, okay, you're a blog image, you're an Instagram picture. Yes. Yeah. I really wanted to talk to you about fellow accounts because I think for anyone listening to all that you've said here and about all those connections you've made might assume that for that to have any impact on your business, you would need well into the multiple Ks of followers. Yeah. So I think this is really important. And I think, uh, and it's all about engagement and you really emphasize engagement 
throughout the course. And I started getting sales directly from my Instagram account. People were coming over to the website and buying products from four or 500 followers, which is amazing, you know. And now I've only got, uh, I think I've just passed 2,000 followers, which is tiny, admittedly, you know, to have been on Instagram so many years. But every post gets lots of comments from people that I want to talk to, that I like talking to. Um, and that's the important thing. It's, I mean, it's the old saying, isn't it? You only need a thousand true fans. Yeah. I like to think of it in terms of like real life. Can you imagine if you had a textile shop and you got 2000 customers a day, how overwhelming that would be? Yeah. <laughs> and that's the wonderful thing, because when you start, say, trying to do uh, Facebook advertising or just trying to get your head around things like perhaps Google ads or, you know, SEO to get people to your website and stuff. You're dealing with, you're just looking at this enormous pool and you've no idea where to start. Whereas with Instagram, you know, if you've done the work and identified your audience, that's fine. You've got that then. That's, you know, that's 2000. I, I mean, when I was concentrating on my textile business, I don't want to be sending out 2000 items a day. <laughs> <laughs> so 2,000 followers is plenty to sustain, uh, a, you know, a, a good business. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's so important to keep that perspective because Instagram, with these huge numbers, it can become very inflated. Like, yes, I have 200,000 people, but... Yeah. I do not have 200,000 people buying my courses because the majority of people who are there are there in a much more general sense or they're not there for the very specific things I do. And yeah. that's fine. That works fine for me. And I kind of built that following by accident, but it was very organic. But if you're absolutely starting out and you already know exactly what it is you want, you want to sell and exactly who it is you need to talk to, it's such a waste of energy to try yeah. and chase that huge number when you can invest in just finding the exact people you want to be speaking to and creating a really close community. Yes, it is. And I think, and anyway, the engagement is just uh, matters so much more, doesn't it? In terms of, uh, you know, there's, there's no point in having 50,000 people who are just there for the picture. Exactly. Exactly. Are you starting a new account for your photography business or are you going to pivot? Yeah, I've really gone backwards and forwards on this and I think I'm just going to pivot what I've got I've already started and I've and that this is why I went back and revisited through the Insta retreat material mm. to try and get my head around it because I've always been part of that small business community on Instagram so it's been very natural for me to follow uh those sort of maker accounts and things that I was part of yeah so and you know essentially now they're kind of my customer <laughs> my <laughs> And because those are the people I want to take photographs for, because that's the world I understand. Yeah. And uh, so for the moment, I'm just keeping it as it is. And it started to organically move that way. I love that. And that's the beauty is if you keep yourself at the heart of your brand and of your Instagram, people will always travel with you. I mean, of course, you'll lose some people who had a very specific interest, but on the whole, people will come with you because everything you shared has always been about you instead of about like purely product or purely business. Yes. And it just feels, and it's been lovely because so many people have been engaged in my journey and my first uh, photography and film customers. Customers is a horrible word. It feels the wrong word. For I know. That. <laughs> 
clients. <laughs> but it's quite strange moving from a customer-based, a product-based business to a service-based business. It's quite an odd transition to make in my head. But it, yes, it feels like it's been quite natural. And the people uh, who have already engaged me have been from Instagram. And the funny thing is, some of them, because I was so bad at selling anyway, <laughs> my products, I mean, it's amazing that people would click over <laughs> because I so rarely mentioned <laughs> what I made, but they did. But yeah, a lot of people uh, have seen the transition as quite natural yes. anyway, I think, you know, and then as soon as I started to speak about it a little more and what I was doing, people got in touch, which has been really nice because I haven't had to shout about it. <laughs> I just love it. And I can't wait to see where you'll be a year from now. Maybe we need to talk again uh, and catch up on what's next. Well, I would love to. (laughs) If anyone was listening who is on the fence about taking an online program, maybe investing in themselves, because I know that is one of the things that feels so scary is saying, like, we can spend that kind of money on someone else or on something for the house and feel okay, but spending it on ourselves can be so difficult. What would you say to someone in that position? Firstly, I think this is a really good investment. I've taken loads of online courses (laughs) (laughs) and this is still one of the best. I mean, it's really heavy in content. And I think the fact that in three, four years, I've been back in so many times goes to show what good value it is. And the other thing is, I think more than that, if you do decide to take a course like this, you're really giving yourself permission and time properly invest in yourself and you deserve that yes <laughs> I think that we can be so uh, especially when we're self-employed we can be so reluctant you know it feels like such an indulgence but it's not this is part of your learning and you deserve it you're investing in yourself that's a good thing absolutely I'm so glad you said that because that's exactly how I feel too make sure you share your Instagram name so everyone can come and find you so I'm at posh yarns everywhere really. Rebecca thank you so much. If you're interested in joining me and Rebecca and a whole bunch of other brilliant like-minded diverse creatives the Insta Retreat is currently on sale for just a couple more days. This is the last time it's going to be on sale before it increases to its 2021 price. 2021 how is that a thing? So head over to meanola.co.uk if you want to check it out. You'll find all the details and I would love you to join us just in making Instagram the heart of your creative work online. If you're listening to this at some point in the future, the Insta Street goes on sale quarterly. So you haven't missed out. You're never more than a few months away from enrollment. So head to that website. You can hop on the waiting list and you'll get an email as soon as we're ready to take on a new class. Okay, so that was our appetizer. And now we're going on to our main podcast course. Fiona Thomas is an author, a journalist, and her newest book, Out of Office, Ditch the 9 to 5 and Be Your Own Boss, has quite clearly come at the perfect moment in time for so many of us. So I called her up to find out about launching a book during lockdown, all the advice she'd offer to any wannabe self-employed people, and whether it's really necessary for us to ever get out of our pyjamas at all. Fiona, welcome back to Hashtag Authentic. Thank you for having me, a return guest. A return guest, there's not many, you you, you are joining an elite club. <laughs> I'm very honoured. Um, for anyone who's not heard the previous episode or hasn't come across your work yet, could you just do a quick intro to who you are and what you do? 
No, Sarah. I hate Please. It. <laughs> <laughs> like as a as a self employed person, it's so it's so difficult to say what you do, isn't it? Have you seen the TikTok that's just like I'm an accountant? <laughs> <laughs> if only, if only I was an accountant. Um, no, I am a freelance writer and an author. Um, started off with a blog a few years ago writing about mental health which gave me the opportunity to write my mental health memoir which we spoke about in the last episode and I've just written a new book called Out of Office and that is all about the world of freelancing, the ups and downs um, but it's a practical guide for people who want to get started or are already freelance and just want to be the best version of their freelance self possible. And I have been lucky enough to read um, the advance of it and write a little foreword for it. And it is such a valuable guide. Like, I think I probably wrote this in my foreword, but like it was just what I wish had existed when I was first starting out because you have all the questions and Google is not very helpful in finding reliable answers. Yeah. And there are like, there is lots of free advice out there. That's the thing. Um, it's just, I guess, sifting through it all and finding what works for you from a person who kind of understands what you're going through because I've not been freelancing for a long long time I've only been doing it since 2017 so I feel like I'm still in that kind of fresh um I guess phase where I remember exactly what it was like in the beginning so I'm not really going to sugarcoat it for people I'm trying to be honest and see let them see the the good points, but also realistically what you are going to come up against. And doing that as someone who, like, would you class yourself as an introvert? Yes. Yeah, so likewise. And, you know, someone who's had mental health problems previously, like bringing all of that to the table, because it, it's something like a lot of us, I think, don't see ourselves in conventional business guides that are out there, especially if they're kind of written by men in Silicon Valley, because uh, it's a different energy that, that is brought to the table yeah and I think a lot of the um kind of business books that freelancers like me will pick up are are very much under the kind of entrepreneurial umbrella mm-hmm. and I don't really identify with that word um because I don't necessarily dream of having this big huge um you know like a big company one day or like scaling up to a crazy big business I'm quite happy being um a company of one as Paul Jarvis says well I was going to ask you what you consider yourself like are you a freelancer are you a business owner are you not an entrepreneur yeah I, not, I don't have anything against entrepreneurs but I, I I'm more I feel like I'm more of a, a grassroots kind of creative freelancer who's happy to kind of um work with you know one-to-one clients or work with small businesses um so I, I know the like I love Emma Gannon, I love everything she's written. And the in the multi hyphen method, she talks a bit about freelancing and how the term freelancer gets a bit of a bad rap because people think of it as someone who maybe hops around from job to job yeah. and can kind of get up and leave at any moment. Whereas I, I really identify with the with the word freelancer. So that's the word that I choose chose to use. <laughs> in out of office because I just felt like that was a good catch-all term but also the book also applies to people who just want to start a business but I I like the word freelancer I think it's like it's chill it's cool Jen Carrington and I did an episode of our other podcast um Letters from a Hopeful Creative where we talked a bit about this because really like the difference between a business owner and a freelancer is entirely 
mindset related or like in our own heads. It doesn't exist on paper. There's the same, we do the same actions every day. Um, but like for me, I found, I don't think I would have been able to leave my job and take the plunge to going self-employed if I didn't consider myself a freelancer. Like that felt like the only way to do it and the only way that felt safe. And then there was a shift kind of later on in my brain where I started to be like, oh, hold on, this is a business. And like, I run the business. And that for me then meant that I was able to kind of take a broader view then and make kind of more long-term plans, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think I think the general, I think maybe the reason I don't have an issue with the term freelancer is because I still see myself as a freelancer who runs a business. Yeah. So to me, there's like, there's like a, a Venn diagram there and I'm in the middle. Um, because like a lot of, well, a lot of people define a freelancer as someone who exchanges their time for money. And I don't believe that's the way to run no. not a sustainable business because there's no way to increase your profit unless you just keep increasing your hourly rate or your day rate. And that's, yeah, that's a whole other conversation to get into about time for money and how. Well, you were just talking <laughs> about this in Forbes, I believe. Uh, yes, I was. Sounds so good to say. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was like, catching up on what you've been doing before this recording and came across that and I yeah I think that's such an important point to make that if you're just always just selling your time for for money there's a kind of a cap into like how many hours you have in the day so therefore how much money you can make whereas yeah. when you start to think about money in terms of like the value you create in the world that becomes a much more scalable equation yeah and I think somebody um once I don't know who can't can't give them any credit but somebody said to me uh like when you buy a painting you probably keep it on your wall for most of your life so you get a lifetime of pleasure out of this one thing whereas an artist might or an artist who doesn't really value themselves might price that painting based on the hours it took them to create mm. it which is like doing them a disservice um, to just be like well it took me a day so I'll charge my day rate whereas this person's going to live with it their entire life they might even like hand it down to another generation well yeah and you're not just paying for that time it took to paint the picture you're paying for all of the years of training that they had beforehand that means that they're able to paint the picture in that time otherwise it would take like you know someone like me like three years to paint a picture that might just be good enough to go on your wall yeah, and I also had a really good conversation with um, Alice Benham. I interviewed her for the book. She's a digital marketing coach, and she spoke a lot about um, like perceived value and, and thinking about that when you price yourself and how, especially if you're a coach, you kind of have to price yourself so that the person you're coaching has put something on the line. So mm. then they show up and realise, well, I've spent two grand on this I better put in the work it's so true I see that even in um classes and in group programs like there's times when I've done a giveaway or like I've offered someone who's like a client in another place like a free spot on a course and those are the people who don't take it sometimes they don't even log in or they never ever complete it because you kind of you don't have like a horse in the race is that the right expression <laughs> like <laughs> you're not invested in it um this is very timely like sidebar but I have just recently completed um a coaching certification amazing and congratulations 
it, it's just been the best thing. It was like the biggest investment I've ever made in myself and in my business, but it was amazing. And I was thinking, oh, I'll just, I want to do it to like deepen my knowledge and deepen my understanding and I'll just be able to use it in my group programs. But what I didn't expect is I've come out and I'm like, actually, I still want to do some one-to-one. So I'm now in this place where it's like, how do I price my time for one-to-one clients when mm-hmm. I could be making more money and, and potentially more impact on a bigger scale by running a group program and my time is really limited my energy is limited because of my health so what do I charge that represents the value I can bring to someone one-to-one and mm. also makes a good business decision and that is like a whole complicated equation yeah especially when you're one-to-one and the kind of expectation is that you're not necessarily on call but you you're kind of invested in that person for mm. however many weeks or months that you work together. So even even if you think about, well, I spend an hour talking to them and they may be a few hours prepping, they're still like taking up space in your brain. Completely. Yeah. And I carried I like if I'm doing one to one, I carry those people with me everywhere. I'm like constantly like, you need to do this. And I was just it's three AM, but I just thought of this. <laughs> so yeah, good boundaries are gonna be important, I think, for me. Um, sorry, that was total side note. So the first thing I want to ask you kind of before we get too deep into the mud is how has it been promoting a book during lockdown? You've kind of looked out by doing the perfect title for this time, I feel like. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I was speaking to, um, Sky McAlpine and she's done a book about cooking for friends that's come out during lockdown, which is like the opposite. That's like, the one thing we can't do but yours cooking, is perfect cooking for pets <laughs> <laughs> cooking for yourself and your tv <laughs> yeah it's um so the book was originally supposed to come out in august and yeah. um because of covid and production capabilities and and new publication schedules lots of books that were supposed to come out over summer have either been postponed to next year or they were pushed to this kind of time like September and October and as we record this this is the day I don't know if you know this is the day that the most books have been published this year oh really so because of Covid over 600 um, books are being published um, today which means that you're competing for attention yeah. against all of those yeah. titles yeah so it's a bit crazy because september's always a, a busy time for yeah. for books but it's been doubled i think this year wow so i guess in that respect i'm i'm kind of glad that it got pushed to october because this this month might have been kind of tricky so it comes out in october 1st so i've had a lot longer to promote it which i'm just trying to see as a good thing mm. um I've had longer to record um, a podcast series to go along with it, which I was kind of on the fence about, but obviously being at home, had time to kind of get stuck into that. Um, But yeah, it's been, for me as an introvert, a bit of a blessing, to be honest, because when I was promoting the first book, I did a lot of trips to London, trips up to all it's over a lot. it is a lot I really it like physically broke me <laughs> yeah. and it just to do you know maybe one or two days traveling just to talk for half an hour to an yeah. audience a quite a small audience um and I did enjoy that and it was there was definitely value in it but this summer has been really good for um, booking in like back-to-back online 
webinars and teaching and interviews and podcasts and I've just found my it's done great some wonders for my energy levels because I can show up so with so much more energy on video than I ever could in person and then able to replicate that for hours at a time without as much needing as much time to recharge so which like side note bit of a rant from me but doesn't that just show you how the world is stacked in the favor of one kind of person like the energetic extroverted person who presumably enjoys doing all of that and we naturally most of the time are at a disadvantage and then this has kind of flipped it and we're like oh hang on turns out I can totally be amazing at this if you just remove the barriers that like society has constructed yeah because I know like I know Emma Gannon who brought out her um, novel in I don't know if it was June or July she was heart she was heartbroken she was like oh I would normally be out doing all these events in London seeing all my friends doing all this stuff and now I'm having to do it from home and I hate it whereas it's I've just kind of leaned into it and thought well how let's just pivot and see what we can do to kind of take advantage of this so I've kind of made just made it a um, a point to kind of interject myself into the kind of o- the freelance communities that are online that were already there but have now um, been strengthened through COVID or have even places that generally met up um, offline so like in, in Nottingham there's a uh, Jess runs a thing called the co-working club mm. and they would they would meet every Wednesday or whatever in a coffee shop and now she had to take all that online so but I've been able to do workshops with them so um I've just yeah just tried to kind of celebrate the people who have made the most of the situation I guess yeah like yeah that's so true because there's more people attending online events and kind of networking online right now than ever before and I'm really interested to see how that plays out long term like we're already seeing the reluctance of people to return to sitting on crowded trains and buying the prep lunch and sitting in an office all day like once yeah. you've tasted the freelance life for a lot of people they don't want to go back yeah absolutely I think you know if maybe a few months ago I was I felt quite positive about it and I thought this is great it's it's really fast-tracked this whole remote working scenario mm. for businesses that up until now were adamant that people had to be at their desk to be showing that they were working and I thought this is great this is fast track to it so companies have realized that oh it can be done and we've now had to invest the money so that people can work at home and it works but I feel like now it's it's also put those people who enjoy it at a bit of a disadvantage because now the people who do go back choose to go back into the office if they get a choice if they choose to go back then the you know the introverted people like us are we going to be left out of the team meetings are Mm. we going to be left out of the break room you know chat about who's going to get promoted are we do you know what I mean like it's almost harder to then kind of get in with the right people or prove that you are doing what you um you know working hard when there's that kind of imbalance where some people are visible and some people aren't yeah visibility is still a really big thing in that kind of corporate culture world which again is like just proof that it's built only for one kind of person like the one who wants to put their hand up in big meetings and um yeah I so I'm, I'm kind of fascinated to see like what 
culture shift, if any, this might produce long term. Maybe because of that, maybe because the introverts are going to be staying at yeah. home, but getting more done and being more sane yeah, and being happier. Yeah, I know that there's a lot of people have got in contact with me saying that they were thinking about going freelance and um, working from home has just been like the final push that they needed or they've been made redundant and they've thought, great, I'm just going to go freelance or um, the way that their company has treated them yeah. Um, this year has made them realise that actually uh, they're not as valued as they thought they were so now is the time to make the leap so I think we'll see a lot of people go freelance this year yeah it's similar I suppose in the way that a lot of the time women who have been at home on maternity leave don't want to go back to work because they're suddenly like oh actually like my life is very different if I get to kind of stay at home and choose how to manage my own time and start to then look for ways to sustain it. It's like everyone's been given a trial period of it. and Yeah, and some people hate it. Yes, well, fine. that's so true. <laughs> like, yeah, some people are absolutely desperate to get back to work. And I think for a lot of us, myself included, like mental health has been a struggle over this period because while we have had the time at home, we've not had the nice bits of padding that most of us have kind of enjoyed previously as a freelancer so if you get lonely like the ability to go and work from a cafe for an afternoon or you know to go to a gym if that's what you do or a class or a group or a club or the pub and see people in those other places which kind of keeps you topped up with that like social yeah engagement I think the thing that I really love about being freelance is the autonomy over my schedule so Mm. I love being able to work from whatever time I want I love being able to decide in the morning right I think I'll work here for a bit and then I'll go to the library or maybe I'll go to the library first and then I'll go to a coffee shop this afternoon um so having that sense of control taken away for me has been very challenging yes and having other people at home as well like so my daughter has been at home all day every day which means my husband has been like at home all day every day with her and like the difference even that just makes to my feeling of control and autonomy and like the lovely cozy work from home bubble I built for myself uh it's it's surprisingly distracting yeah and just little things like my, my husband's working from home as well so um I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts but he really doesn't like them so and I normally would play them loud so now I've had to put them in my headphones or not listen to them at all and just little things like having lunch together at the same time was great in the beginning but then I started to be quite resentful about this (laughs) this, like routine that we'd forced ourselves into and I I really don't like routine so I was like I hate having my lunch at 12 o'clock I want to have my lunch at 2 o'clock and like (laughs) just like going crazy about these stupid little things because it it felt no longer a choice it Mm. just felt so enforced yeah which I guess in the end is just a thought like we could at the beginning it still felt like a choice right and then there was some point where the lunch stopped feeling like you were actively choosing it yeah but it's really hard to kind of catch those thoughts before they become really solid beliefs yes it's been challenging so I know the book kind of touches on some other stuff not specifically covid related because none of us had lived (laughs) this experience when you wrote it but the the less glossy sides of freelancing as well as all the positives are in there yeah and I another thing that I've kind of 
not seen a lot of in the freelancing or business books that I've read is the yeah they talk about mindset but not really specifically about mental health so Mm. the the fourth section of the book is all about um mental health and how to kind of just look for the warning signs and how to you know expect for freelancing to be a mental challenge and although it's great to not have a boss also when you have a boss there's somebody there to go to when you need support and there's somebody there to watch over your work and say Mm. hey actually it looks like you're struggling here or you know why you show up late for work all these little things that previously you would say are annoying it is also quite helpful to have someone to kind of just keep an eye on you and it's the system we've kind of been trained to work within like school starts with that that sense of supervision and I don't know if anyone else can relate to like not knowing you've done a good job until someone else tells you you've done a good job and it took me ages to kind of get past that when I first started working for myself yeah so you've got to kind of be your own be your own cheerleader and your own taskmaster and so yeah I've spoken a lot about that in the book about all the kind of complicated emotions that come with being self-employed whether that's you know the guilt about asking for money or the guilt about taking time off um, the comparison between you and other businesses that you see mm, online so big the burnout that comes with forcing yourself to work every hour but then also feeling like you have to because got to make um got to make hay while the sun shines yeah so yeah I just I don't necessarily have a, a solution to all this but I just wanted to kind of open up the dialogue and let freelancers see that yeah like it's absolutely normal to feel like this and don't let people tell you that you've got to you know you've made your bed so you've got to lie you wanted Mm. to be freelance so this is what comes with the territory no you don't have to be like that you can accept that it's complicated but also love it as well yeah and it's like just seeing it coming isn't it because for me and I don't know if it was the same for you but as I experienced each of those things the realization was late to come that that's what was going on like you're just in it and so someone pointing out in advance of the this might happen like you might find yourself like struggling to to switch off or you might any of those things um means that you're kind of scanning for it and when it starts to happen you're like oh I'm doing that thing that I read about in the book instead of having to unpick it yourself from from the end Yes, well, ex- well, actually, my friend Michelle, who also has an advanced copy of the book, she read the section on burnout, which has literally a checklist of symptoms. Mm. And she was like, that. she said that, that was so helpful because I honestly didn't realise how burnt out I was until I read all the symptoms and that's then realised that it was, it was me. So I was like, oh, that, sorry, you're going through burnout, but that's good. <laughs> Could you write that in an Amazon review, please? Yes. <laughs> But that's so true because if you don't know it, then you can't help it, whether that's self-help or seeking professional help, depending on what's going on. Something I, like, how long have I been doing this now? I went freelance in 2016, I think. How many years is that? That's, oh my God, my maths is bad. Four years? Is that all? It feels like a lifetime. But I still have this thing where I'm either working all day or I'm doing things for myself and I really struggle to blend the two. So like I like to do Pilates every day, but it takes me like an hour. And if I do an hour of Pilates, like once I sit down to work, I cannot pull myself away to go and do that hour of Pilates for anything. Mm. And so for me, like 
really structuring imbalance is so important. Structuring in balance, not imbalance, is so important. Like if I don't plan that ahead, it will not happen. My instincts will not take care of my needs in the way that maybe you might think that they would. Mm. But then also like you need to let go of the idea that every day should be a perfect balance. Yeah. Like it's okay if you maybe work alternate days and on the days in between you do your pilates and you kind of recover so true it doesn't need to be a strict nine to five with an exercise slot at the same time every day like yeah that those kind of peaks and troughs are normal as well it's hard to unlearn all of that because we are again like it's we taught it from such a young age like timetables and you are at your desk between these hours and you have to be typing that's how we know you're busy (laughs) yeah And nothing else counts. And and people will have probably heard me say this on the podcast before, like the revelation when I realized that the time I spent like reading or like looking on social media could be just as valuable to my business as the time I spent actually like yes. typing and creating because you can't have one without the other. Well, I took myself out for um, a coffee date yesterday afternoon because nice. I got a new book that I really wanted to read, a, a creative writing book. And um, I was sitting reading and then I caught myself, I'd stopped reading and I was thinking about what I had read. And I honestly had my my hand like up to my chin and I was looking out the window like, <laughs> like, like, like a stereotype, like a stalker. Like an Instagram photo. <laughs> was there a Lana Del Rey song playing in the background? <laughs> like, I was like proper pensive, like lost in thought. And I, I noticed myself doing it and I was like, oh, this is great. This is this is like what creative time should be it's not enforced and but it's a key part of your day so that the rest of your day or the next day your cup's full creatively Mm. and nothing makes me write like reading especially reading fiction like I read fiction I kind of drop into the vernacular of fiction I don't even know what it is and then I'll like have to put the book down because I've got a story coming in my head or like a blog post coming in my head and yet like conventional work wisdom would tell anyone like proper like protestant work ethic stopping to read fiction in the middle of a work day seems so utterly indulgent yeah it almost I think reading fiction is something I've really really gotten into this year and I think it just switches off that part of your brain that kind of is overthinking Mm. and and always forcing you to think like in a I don't know like if you're an art a business owner thinking like business mind yes so it switches that off and switches off that kind of negative voice or that expectation of what you should be doing and just allows your brain to I guess that stereotype of think outside the box there's a definite tendency and I I fall into this trap too of being like okay like this is my uh, this is my reading time I'm going to spend some time reading but it's still in the work day so I'll read a workbook or I'll listen to a work related (laughs) podcast and all you end up doing is kind of like ramping up the pressure and ramping up your internal to-do list of all these things there's so many business podcasts that I feel like we listen to as some sort of form of self-flagellation where we're just making ourselves feel awful about all the things we're not doing but telling ourselves it's productive because we're Mm. listening and so yeah like recognizing that the ways you refill your creative productive cup might have nothing to do with the actual work that you want to do yeah because I find business podcasts really triggering Mm. (laughs) like no matter what they're talking about I instantly just feel like 
oh, there's something else I should be doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And actually one of the best bits of feedback I get about this podcast, I don't know if this is universal, but people do tell me that it's the one that doesn't make them feel that way because it's more like, I guess because we're just admitting to being human and we're not like, yeah. yeah, I have like every launch I do this 15-step plan and I like I have all these spreadsheets. We're like, yeah, every day is different and some days I do nothing and some days I do a million things. Yeah. Which is human. So another thing I've spotted you've been doing since, I think since lockdown, mate, you may have been doing it beforehand, is uh, some more kind of of your own online events and, and running those kind of like group workshops and webinars. Yes. Yeah, so they started in, in lockdown, really. I started working with a mental health mentor, mentor called um, Jo Hooper. She runs a business called Mad and Sad Club. And it's for um, yeah people who want to just kind of take control of their mental health but in a kind of practical way so she'll help you figure out boundaries and schedules um and she ran a program called eight weeks of space which was amazing Um, and it was eight weeks of group coaching or group mentoring and throughout that she basically helped me challenge my thoughts around work and one of the one of the biggest limiting beliefs that I had was that I couldn't make money from creative work. So I, in my mind, I'd kind of separated creative work and um, the boring work that pays the bills. And I, and I was like, do all this boring work or like work that's, you know, not necessarily as exciting, but that I do that so that I can have like two days a week where I work on the stuff I really want to work on. And she just said like, do you think there's a way that, maybe you could get paid to do creative work and I was like absolutely not (laughs) um and she was like well like every week we did journaling prompt so she was like that's your journal journaling prompt and try and think of a way that you could make money in a creative way and I was like oh I could run a creative writing course she's like yeah on you go then (laughs) (laughs) so so that was the, the, the kind of penny dropped for me of like oh this could be really fun to like basically the conversations that we've had here today just talking about creativity and what it means and how great it is and how we can implement it into our business not necessarily um because I didn't do it it's not a creative writing course for fun I targeted it for business owners because I wanted business owners to know that they can write their own uh, content and social media and website pages and inject personality into it and actually just be themselves well I'm kind of passing on that lesson that you just learned it sounds like which is oh there's room for your creativity within your business mm, yeah so I, I really that. yeah I really wanted to teach people that they can just because my whole thing is I've always been myself online and it's worked out okay Same. so give it a bash too uh, much work yeah. to be anyone else as well I can't even imagine exactly so much upkeep so so I did that and it was it was a great success and then I've just launched a pitching for freelance writers course which is showing people how to think like a a writer and how to pitch to publications so good um which I I don't have a degree in journalism which is I, which is my USP <laughs> like I, yeah. I didn't do a qualification in this and you it's absolutely fine I've not got a degree in English I'm just a writer who knows how to seek out a good story and how to send a good pitch email so uh, I've just started teaching that as well I love this and and you know it's so fascinating as well that like you wouldn't have tapped into this part of your 
whole like ability and, and this whole revenue stream and this it sounds like a whole really fun part of your business without the outside input of a bit of coaching yes and what what happened in March was I lost my biggest client <sighs> was so, that a writing client um it was a social media client <sighs> which I was like I don't really like doing social media anyway <laughs> but it, that was the thing of like oh this is what pays the bills this is yeah. what allows me to be creative um so I lost that client and um I had just managed to secure podcast sponsorship so I had a bit of money in the bank which was great so I didn't need to panic about losing that client for about a month Mm. (laughs) Um, so I just was like do you know what this is what I should have been doing all this time I should have been working on my big picture I should have been thinking about my real purpose I should have been thinking about um the work that I actually do and not just chasing my tail all the time so I spent about a month um yeah doing this coaching and really thinking about um what I wanted to offer and what I could help people with and that was just like a total game changer it's totally changed how I run my business uh, and has made this year my mo- like my most successful year ever which is horrible to say in lockdown it's not horrible to say how interesting that we think it's horrible to say that like exactly, you're yeah. allowed to have a successful financial year it's amazing and I think it's also really valuable for people to recognize that like whatever point we're at in our business like you are literally an expert on working from home you wrote the book on it but still sometimes we need an outside person to go oh like I can see that you're believing this thing like it's a fact have you considered it might just be a thought Mm. and also like yeah it's like allowing myself to say that I can teach writing to people yeah yeah so it's just saying like no look at the facts you've written two books you've been published multiple times like stop acting like you need a degree to be able to do this yeah which is a real like especially common in women isn't it we think we have to have all the qualifications before before we're allowed to take ourselves seriously never mind let anyone else take us seriously yeah and it it is like that's the other thing about freelancing is you do have to be quite brave sometimes to put yourself out there and and risk failure you just kind of have to this is something I'm teaching on the pitching course is like you just have to see failure as another thing to check off the list like it will happen all the time and the more you fail um the more you'll learn it's such a cliche but you kind of just have to expect failure when it comes be like yeah okay right that's fine what's next totally I teach in 15 minute magic like we have to like intentionally fail on purpose. Yes. Um, and and just sign up for the discomfort because a lot of the time I think we're told that if something feels wrong, it means it is wrong. But actually, like, I still feel uncomfortable every time I write and send a sales email even now. But mm. I also know that if I don't do that, I can't help the people who want my help in the world. So like, I have to just deal with it, allow the discomfort and send it and then and, be open to it being completely wrong and failing completely and still knowing that I'll be able to pick myself up and learn from it and do the next thing yeah well if you don't somebody said to me if you don't ever get pushback on like so when you send a quote or for your or send your rates to someone if you don't ever get pushback on that that is a red flag (laughs) I love it's, it's so true I remember when I did more sponsored content and people would like say oh what's your price for this and you'd send it and if they immediately got back and went brilliant right let's do it I'd be like damn it totally should have gone higher yeah it's almost there you've got to keep pushing that limit until you get some pushback and then go okay this is probably about right yeah 
Yeah, which is hard. Like it's a really hard thing to do, especially when you need the money and you're scared that they might just go, no, and walk away. Yeah, which is why in the beginning, like I definitely undercharged, but I didn't have any other option because I needed the work. And I I would never... I hate these these people who shame other freelancers for undercharging because they think that it's going to put down the rate for the whole industry. It's not. There's always going to be people who've got different levels of budgets. So if that's what people have to do in the beginning to get started, then I think that's fine. And there's something to be said, I think, for giving people an amazing bargain. Mm-hmm. Like I definitely undercharged at the beginning too, just because you don't know any better and you're... I think when you've not convinced yourself of the value and the worth of your work, it's very easy to undercharge. Um, mm-hmm. But it built my business because like you get customers who are so overjoyed with delight because what mm-hmm. they got was worth like five times more than what they paid. Um, or like, you know, you've written something that the, a client recognizes they could have paid twice as much to get written. Like, So then they come back to you and then you build your reputation and then you're able to raise your rates because you're known for doing that amazing work and you can still deliver amazing value. Like I still, it's always my aim, no matter what I'm charging, to make something like the bargain of the century. Mm -hmm. And also, like like you say, that's the great thing about being a freelancer is that you can put your price up. Like you can start low and then in six months be like, hey, just like, no, I'm putting my prices up. Um, Or if you think that that's not a great you know, great value or you're not getting a great income from one client, you can start getting more clients and with each new client you get, you charge slightly more. Yeah. So it's not like you're on this low salary for the for the next no. ten years. As long as you're brave enough to put your prices up though. Yeah, which is something that I have written about in the book and the, the, like one of the great, apart from my friend diagnosing herself with burnout from the book, another great, great <laughs> outcome from the book was my editor. My editor is freelance as well and she read the first draft of the book and she read the section on increasing your prices and I had included like quite quite a detailed kind of plan on how to do it and how to get figures and stuff like that and so she implemented those and um, managed to increase her rates off the back of that so good so it was really good that like completely out of the blue she just emailed me and said yeah I've just I've just emailed a couple of clients and realized that I was grossly undercharging based on the rest of the industry and and they were like yeah no problem did she email you and say and so thanks to your book I'm now going to charge you this much more (laughs) (laughs) well luckily that was through the publisher so they would have to (laughs) awesome so best of both worlds (laughs) So, like, if you could pick three things that you know now as a freelancer that you think are the most important things for someone to know starting out, and I'm sure they're all in the book, like, what would you pick as the top three things? I would say, first of all, always have a buffer fund financially. Mm -hmm. I know if you're starting out, you're like rolling your eyes thinking I don't even have my money I have enough money to pay the bills how am I going to have a buffer fund I get it I was there as well but just put your you need to save money for tax anyway so put your money into all your tax money into a separate account and then get some other sort of account whether it's another current account or get a Monzo card and just set up a buffer fund and try and put in even if it's just 10 pounds a week or whenever you get uh, what I used to do is whenever I get a big invoice paid I go oh instead of just 
letting it fall into my current account, put my tax aside and then decide on a little chunk that was going into the buffer fund and just forget about it. Because you never know when a, a client is going to cancel. You never know when you're going to get an unexpected charge or you're going to have to buy a new laptop or you're going to have to like update your website. All these little things that mm. you forget about or like when you're like WordPress renew. I always forget that every year. I'm like, oh God, it's coming out again. Yeah. Once I got hacked and like needed immediate web design help to like figure out what on earth to do with my website. And yeah, like having money for those emergencies is so essential. Yeah. So set up your buffer fund and just try and add to it all the time. And I use that for if I've got a quiet month, I can dip into that and it gives me space to I don't need to like panic and get clients I can just use that month and be like okay this month I'm going to work on um, my marketing or I'm going to work on like a big creative project or whatever but it's just really good to start that now and just keep adding to it because you will thank me in the long run <laughs> um the other tip I would say is to yeah increase your prices yeah. repeatedly and maybe even just set a reminder in your calendar every quarter to go over all the clients that you've got look at all the packages that you've got and just say is there any way that you can increase them or if say you've got packages if you don't want to increase them is there anything in there that isn't really needed or people you know you're delivering to people but they don't really want it or they say they'd rather have something else instead yeah. just try and evaluate all that so that everything um, you're not spending too much time on one client compared to another make sure that it all kind of makes sense financially um, and yeah inc- spend some time uh, looking at your industry and your competitors see how much they're charging and kind of get a ballpark figure so that when you go to increase your prices you can say to your client um, I've just done a little check of industry prices and you know I'm charging you say you're charging like £100, the industry standard's closer to 300 Obviously, I'm not going to increase you to 300 but I'm going to increase it to 175 uh, Just want to give you a fair warning. Obviously, you can um, let me know your thoughts on this and we can take it from there. So don't, don't, don't just tell people you're increasing your prices and that's that. Just open up a dialogue and just talk to them like a human (laughs) Um, if you've got that backup of that you've done your research I think that always goes in your favor and also telling people you're about to increase your prices is like a foolproof way of getting a sudden flurry of bookings so kind of works in both ways as well and the I've talked a lot about money but my final tip is going to be about money as well and that is to remember to plan holidays into the way you price yourself so if you want to take which you should take, you know, at least four weeks of holiday a year, I'd say closer to six would be much better. Um, Remember that those are weeks of the year that you're not going to be working. So if you've worked out your hourly hourly rate or your daily rate based on working 365 days a year, then Mm. you've done your calculation wrong. So instead of what I do is work out how much I'd like to make in the year and then instead of dividing that between um, 12 months just divide it by 10 months and then that gives you a kind of target month monthly amount that you would want to make that's such a yeah such a good idea like so simple but makes so much sense yeah and then don't 
then don't be like that's a month so I'll be working five days a week don't exchange your time for money in that way because there's so many things hands-off things that you have to do as you'll know like admin stuff um your creative time uh your downtime your meetings your discovery calls you don't get paid for all that so um work out your day rate based on if you are doing a day rate model which i know it doesn't work for everyone if you're doing a day rate i would say assume that you can only work three days a week and that gives you two days to do all the other stuff that you need to do which is like such a simple calculation but it's a lot of people are really terrified of the numbers that they find on the other side yeah but once you've done it that way it kind of gives you confidence because then you know well I can't I can't make it any lower otherwise I can't have any I can't have the time off to run my business and I can't have paid holidays and that's that's no way to live a life completely and you it's not what we expect from people who are working in offices so why on earth are we expecting it from the people who are working from home yeah and it just comes back to that thing of you you wanted to be your own boss so now like step up to the challenge you've got to be your own boss and run run things properly I always say like you didn't leave a job you hate to create another job that you hate yeah (laughs) like that was not the plan um the final thing I wanted to ask you about and this is just really personal curiosity is I noticed that you're running some workshops where you're doing like a donation-based payment system Mm. um how have you found that because it's something I'm really curious about doing I so the first time I did it I had a set price and then asked people to dm me if they wanted uh, a donation place and that was really popular and this time round, I've just done it donation only for everything and I've not found it to be as popular to be honest interesting um so I think it's it's been a bit of an experiment I still want to offer donation places because I want to make sure that I've got some part of my offering is accessible to people without um, a lot of money to spend but I think what I'm going to do in the long run is just have a set price and get people to email me if they want um, either a free place or a donation only place because I think it's that comes back to that perceived value thing whereas I think people because it's donation only they think they're not going to get much value from it. It's so interesting. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, it's frustrating because obviously from an admin perspective, it would just be easier to be able to sell it at that, let the system automate itself, let people pay what they want to pay. Um, but I've tried various things over the years and like with our scholarship places, if anyone's listening and doesn't know, I do free scholarship places on all of my courses um, and you just have to apply. But yeah, like finding the way that you talk about it and advertise it and promote it in a way that gets the right people who need what you're offering and, mm. are, you know, want a place for free to notice it and feel motivated and feel like it's okay for them to apply for it is like a really complicated formula to get right. And, and I feel like we're still on our end, still trying to kind of tease out the perfect way so that people feel able to apply for it people feel like oh this means me and I'm allowed to apply for this yeah I think when I when I do the donation or the the kind of free options I always just say no no questions asked and I just have to assume that people are going to do the right thing yeah (laughs) because I can't if people were to tell me why they needed it I would just feel like oh like it's not my choice to make the decision right like you don't want to triage people's (laughs) <laughs> people's misfortune or whatever yeah and then also comes down to how well they've communicated it yeah. like they might have played it down 
Right. And there's so much privilege at play in, in that whole dynamic. It's really complicated. Yeah, it's it's very tricky. It is tricky. But, but we're I, trying. So. That's it. We're trying. And I, I like that's why I ask, because I'm, I'm always interested in how people are navigating it and kind of finding ways that work. I know um, you said no questions asked, which reminded me of, do you know, I don't know if you know Sam Harris, who is um, a writer and a podcaster and various other things. And he has uh, a meditation app and a private podcast feed that you pay for. And he says the same thing, like anyone who wants a free spot can just email and they get it. No questions asked. Mm. Um, And he's huge. And I think a lot of people hear that and would be like, well, you're just walking away from money or like you know people will take the person just mm. like you'll get everyone asking for free places but then I signed up to both of his paid things recently the meditation app and his podcast and I just paid for them because I was like no like I can clearly afford this I can't even imagine taking the time to write that email when I can totally afford it um and a also, small case study of one but <laughs> yeah and also like what I ha- have to try and remind myself is that um, although the courses and stuff that I offer are, are out of some people's price range, I do offer a lot of free content Yeah. Um, on, on my blog and on the podcast and on Instagram every day. And, you know, my book is only £10 and once libraries open, you can get it from a library. So I do offer a lot of accessible content. So I think we just have to remind ourselves that we're not beholden to what people tell us we, they think that we're worth. So true. And that, yeah, that is a difficult balance to find. And for me, like I always go back to my free content because that's how I feel okay about being a part of like the capitalist system, I suppose, is like, Mm. it allows me to then do all that stuff for free. Because when I started my business, that's 100% what I relied on, like books like yours, I could maybe stretch you to afford on Amazon. And everything else had to be free at the beginning. So I'm always like you are putting stuff out for those people Mm. um and then as you build your business and as you start to make more money then you might hopefully be in a position to invest when you want to take things to the next level yeah Fiona where can people find you online to enjoy all of that wonderful free content you just described (laughs) well I've got the out of office podcast which is on all your podcast providers uh the book out of office is available um on Amazon and all other good bookshops the, it's out in print on the 1st of October. There is also going to be an audiobook. And you can find me on Instagram at Fiona Likes to Blog. And my website's Fiona Likes to Blog.com. And you're fairly active on Twitter as well. So same again, isn't it? I like to, I have a Twitter personality. It's quite sarcastic, <laughs> it's quite cutthroat. <laughs> but yeah, I'm on Twitter a bit. <laughs> so enter at your own risk, people. Yes. <laughs> You've got to be cutthroat to survive in the Twitter world. You do. You sure sure do. Is there anything you've got coming up that you want people to know about event-wise or anything else? Uh, Just, I would just stay tuned for lots of uh, virtual events when the book comes out. Uh, I've got a few in the pipeline, but I'm not sure what yet. Fantastic. Fiona, thank you so much. Show notes for this episode should be right there in your podcast app, or you can find the full details at meandorla.co.uk forward slash podcast 91. And if you'd like to join me and Fiona for that live book event, head over there and you can reserve your spot today. I hope you have a wonderful week, wherever you're working from, and I will speak to you all very soon.